ahead and open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. There's no better way to celebrate the freedom that we have in this country that our veterans, uh, that our veterans preserved and served us to preserve by opening God's word publicly. It's the best way to celebrate the freedom that we have, and we do that every single week. And if you are a guest with us, uh, we want you to know that we believe that what we are opening right now, the Bible, is the inerrant, inspired word of God himself. We believe that God has revealed himself to us through his word so we can know him and love him and worship him. We do not have a God who is hiding. We do not have a God who is distant. He wants to be known and rightfully valued and worshiped above all other things. And we believe so much in the sufficiency of God's word that what I'm going to say today does not matter unless it agrees with what God has said in his word. So we want to collectively be a church that believes it. It doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what the Bible says. Our, our lives and our homes and our communities would be a much better place if we all believed that one sentence. So we want you to see God's word for yourself today, whether that's your own Bible, the app on your phone. If you want to pull out the Bible in that rack right in front of you and turn to page 983, that's where you will find our passage, Colossians 2, 6 through 10 today. We'll have the words on the screen as well. I could get this wrong, but God's word always gets it right. And we are going through Paul's letter to the church in Colossae with this purpose, that we would see the supremacy and the centrality of Christ in everything. Because unless and until Jesus is at the center, nothing else will make sense. Until he is who we value the most, we won't value anything else correctly. Our only hope in this life is having more of Jesus. We need to be so filled with him that there won't be room for anything else because the Bible doesn't point us to a system and it doesn't point us to a program. The Bible points us to a person and his name is Jesus. And when you really find him, there's no need to search anywhere else. Last week in Colossians 2-3, we saw that Jesus is the treasure who contains all the treasure. So if you want to find true wisdom, you need to find Jesus. If you want to find true knowledge, you need to find Jesus. And, and, and until you believe that, you will find yourself searching in all sorts of different places for what only Jesus can provide. But once you believe this, you will find yourself searching for more and more of him. And finding our satisfaction in him is what keeps us safe from deceptive arguments and, and counterfeit substitutes. This is what Paul, though he wasn't physically present with the church at Colossae, he'd never been there himself. He heard about their faith from Epaphras who had gotten the, the gospel from him. This is what Paul was rejoicing in and wanting to see solidify even more. The firmness of the Colossians' faith in Christ. He, he wants it to be solid and secure. And, and that's where we left off in verse 5. That's the, very first, that's the very last line in verse 5. And that leads us right into our passage this morning. Colossians 2 verse 6 where Paul says... Therefore, and we'll see what that therefore is there for in a moment. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. 
believe it or not, verse 6 is where we find the very first command in the entire letter of Colossians. If you weren't paying attention, you might not have noticed that, but this is the very first command. Because up until this point, this is what the therefore is there for, up until this point, Paul has expressed his thankfulness for this church that was started by Epaphras who received the gospel from Paul. He has shared his prayers for this church. He has shared exalting truths about the person and preeminent nature of Jesus. He has reminded them of the foundational truths of the gospel. You were alienated, but you have been reconciled. He has shared his heart for ministry and and serving the church, sort of his philosophy as ministry is at the end of chapter 2. And now, after all of that, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. Walk in Christ. And, And I think the structure of this letter is instructive for us. Because some people just see the Bible as a list of rules, right? Have you heard people describe the Bible that way? It's just a list of of do's and don'ts and an ancient one at that. And, and, And sure, the Bible contains rules and it has instructions, but the goal of God's revelation to us is that right beliefs will lead to right actions, and the way Paul organizes this letter to the Colossians is another example of that. So Paul is first concerned with their knowledge and understanding of Jesus. Right? He, he's just emphasizing that over and over again in chapter 1 and into chapter 2. He, he wants them to believe what is true, to know Jesus and to know him more because he knows that right beliefs are what will lead to the right actions. The Bible doesn't just seek outward transformation without seeking first inward transformation. He wants to change us from the inside out. So on the basis of what they believe, they have received Jesus Christ as Lord, right? Their beliefs have changed. They've acknowledged who Jesus is. Now, on the basis of that, they are given the imperative to walk in him. Because Christianity is not about praying a prayer when you are young and then going on and living however you want. Saving faith in Jesus leads to a life that is characterized as walking with Jesus because saving faith recognizes Jesus Christ as Lord. Saving faith recognizes that we owe Jesus our allegiance. We owe him anyone because he's the only one that is Worthy, as we just sang. We we bow to him as king, recognizing that when we are in charge, we mess things up. Amen? When we are in charge, we mess things up. You can't proudly receive Jesus. You have to humble yourself before him. To be a Christian is to bring all of your brokenness to Jesus and to say, I can't fix my life and I can't fix my spiritual problem because of my sin, but I believe you can. You, you place your faith in what Jesus has done instead of what you have done or can do. And then you don't walk away from him. Why would you do that? Because where else would you go? If you really believe in who Jesus is, then you have found the treasure who contains all of the treasure. You are united with Christ. 
So walk in him. Walk in him. Meaning your life is defined by the reality. Your life is defined by the reality that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. You are united with Christ. And, and, And Paul gives four descriptions of what it looks like when someone walks in Christ. This is in verse 7. They're they're rooted, they're built up, they're established in the faith, and they are abounding in thanksgiving. So let's go through those one at a time. First, he says you have been rooted in Christ. He, He starts with a horticultural word picture. Those who walk in Christ have been rooted in him. Because where a plant or a tree's roots are, determines what they are relying on for life itself, right? Where they get their nutrients, what feeds the tree is determined by the location of its roots. All of us have minds and souls that are going to be fed by something. And much of our spiritual health is determined by where our roots are. What, what is feeding you? What, what is feeding us? What is the source of our knowledge and, and our wisdom? What do we truly value? What is our faith planted in? Uh, th- this is why Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he he meditates. He feeds on this day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. What, What you listen to and delight in and meditate on determines where your roots are. And, and I think this verb, rooted, it being past tense, provides a helpful picture for us. Uh, just, just like when, if, you, if you went to a greenhouse and you bought a plant, and maybe you're a plant person, and you put it in your car, and, and you take it home, and you, and you dig a hole, and maybe you add some extra nutritious soil, and, and you water it. And, and if I was a pastor from Iowa, I could give you more details. Uh, but, uh, but the point is, whatever you're doing for that plant, you, the, you, the plant has been positioned to feed and thrive through no effort of the plant. Right? The plant didn't do anything. It just went wherever you put it. And this is essentially the picture of the gospel. Only we weren't beautiful plants waiting around in a greenhouse. It's more like we were in a desert wasteland trying to feed off of the sand that is the world's wisdom and philosophies. And we have a God who pursued us and rescued us and redeems us and brought us to himself. We have been planted in Christ who contains all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge so our souls can constantly feed and be nourished by him and, and, and the wisdom that is found in his word. Followers of Jesus have been rooted in Christ and, and I don't think that this is just meant to be an abstract thought experiment. This is intended to be highly practical. How we live every day. So whether we are eating breakfast or going to work or parenting our kids or at a football game or making dinner or paying bills, think about it this way. I am rooted in Christ. 
He's what nourishes me. He's what sustains me. He's who I draw strength from. He's what gives me stability. We want our roots to sink deeper and deeper. Why? So life doesn't knock us over so easily. (laughs) Have you ever thought, why is it that, that so many things can make me so wobbly? Right? As I go through life, why are there so many things that are moving us so dramatically? Maybe we aren't as firmly planted and sunk down into Christ as much as we think. Paul says, walking Christ means you have been rooted and you are being built up in him. This is a construction metaphor. So Paul's mixing metaphors here. And while other Passages talk about being built up on the foundation of Christ. That, that's not the image that, that this wording gives us here. We, we, so we have a tree that, that is rooted, and, and, and then we have a building that is being built up. And whether we are sinking roots down or building a structure up, here's the key. Both are moving us further into Christ. We are rooted in him, and we are being built up in him. All of these metaphors are trying to help us grasp life in Christ, walking in Christ. And here's what I want you to embrace. Whether I am establishing deeper roots or building something up with my life, either way, my trajectory should always be further towards Christ. Either way, deeper into him, closer to him, either way I'm going. Any decisions that move me away from Jesus in either direction move me away from the nourishment and stability and strength that I need. So so maybe some of us are trying to have half of our roots in Christ and the other half in the world. Right, where you are trying to draw from other sources. Maybe, maybe we're trying to build towards Christ in some ways, but we're building towards our own ego in others. And when that is the case, you are probably a whole lot more wobbly than you would like to be. Because Jesus is the source of true security and stability. Paul, Paul drives us home this point home even further with the next description of life in Christ. He says, we are rooted, we are being built up and established in the faith. When when you are firmly connected to Christ, you aren't going anywhere. That's what I want you to see in those three pictures. Whether you're rooted, built up, in, or established, you're not going anywhere. And I think Paul is stacking images on top of each other to, to drive home this idea when you, aren't, when, you are, when you are in Christ, you aren't moving except to go further into him. <laughs> Either way, you aren't moving except to go further down into him or up into him. This is where nourishment and satisfaction and stability and security and solidity is found. It is in Christ. And so notice that Paul doesn't say that the Colossians have been established in just any faith. No, they have been established in the, in the faith. Because the strength of your faith is not what saves you. The strength of Christ is what saves you. It doesn't matter how strong your roots of faith are if they are in sand. 
We, we don't have faith in faith. This is not, as long as you believe something, right? Or as long as you're genuine about your faith, that's good enough. No, no, no. We don't have faith in faith. We have faith in Christ. And there's a huge difference between the two. Saving faith is not an all-you-can-eat buffet where you can go and you can pick and choose what you want to put on your plate. No, saving faith is more like a restaurant without any menus. There is one entree, and it is Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. And you either accept it and enjoy the greatest meal that has ever been prepared that will satisfy your longings and feed your soul forever, or you walk away hungry and vulnerable to the circumstances that life brings. Those are your two options. And, and, and if you're wondering, okay, how do I get connected to Christ? How do I get rooted in him, built up in him? It's very simple. Trust him. It's through faith, believing that he is the source, believing that he is sufficient, that his work is enough. In answer to the question, how can I sink my roots into Christ? Piper says, you trust him. You trust his promises. You trust his work. You trust his person. You trust him to be a good foundation, to be good food for you, and to meet your needs every day. We sink our roots of faith deeper and deeper into the soil that is Christ. So all three of those descriptions, rooted, built up, established, work together to describe what a life walking in Christ should look like for all of us on a day-to-day practical basis. And the result of all of that is that we should be abounding in thanksgiving. We should be thankful. One way to test how rooted, built up, and established in Christ you are is just ask this question this morning of yourself. Am I a thankful person Or am I a complaining person? Maybe you should ask your spouse. I mean, depending on how big of a fight you want to get into this afternoon, right? But am I I a thankful person? I don't know. You can decide if your marriage is strong enough for that. Am I a thankful person or am I a complaining person? Am I grateful for what I have or am I always feeling like I deserve better? Have, Have you ever thought about why the Bible commands and encourages us to be thankful? Have you ever thought, why does the Bible command this? Commands us to be thankful. Because I I think this is an area where Satan loves to attack us. Satan loves to attack your contentment. He loves to tell us that we deserve better. He loves to tell us that we are missing out because he knows that an unthankful person is a person who will look elsewhere for contentment away from Christ. Come over here and try this. Right? This is better. This will satisfy. This is easier. And it is really hard for him to do that to someone who is content and someone who's quite simply thankful for what they have and where they've been positioned. I'm not going to be tempted to eat a little Caesar's pizza right after Thanksgiving dinner. I'm full, right? I'm full. I'm satisfied. I have everything that I need. Thankfulness and contentment is what keeps us safe. An unthankful person is a vulnerable person. They are vulnerable to what Paul warns the Colossians about in verse 8. So see how these connect. See to it that no one takes you captive 
by philosophy and empty, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Let me quickly point out that Paul is doing in our passage this morning exactly what he says that he does in his ministry in chapter 1 and verse 28 when sharing his ministry philosophy. He said that he proclaims Christ. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so, he, so this is Paul's ministry. He's teaching and he is warning. And we see this here, verses 6 and 7, and then 9 and 10, which we will get to. Paul is teaching them, verse 8, right here, right here, he is warning them. This is why it matters. This is why the stakes are so high. You need to walk in Christ, and you need to watch out for captors. You need to walk in Christ and watch out for captors. I, I thought about outlining this, walk in Christ and don't get kidnapped. Because the imagery in verse 8 is kind of that strong. It's that strong. It's, it's a military metaphor of being carried off with the plunder as a prisoner of war. See to it that you're not taken captive by this. Don't be taken captive. And remember, Paul's writing this letter motivated because of the false teaching that was threatening the spiritual safety of this young community of believers. And we start to get some clues here as to the nature of these false teachings. Right? And the first is that their philosophy is based on human tradition, according to human tradition. And because Paul doesn't elaborate on that at all for us, there's obviously going to be speculation as to exactly what Paul means by this. But I think the wording is reminiscent of Jesus' critique to the Pharisees in Matthew 15. This is when they were criticizing Jesus' disciples for not following their ceremonial hand-washing. Pastor John preached on this in our Questioning the King series this summer. And Jesus, in Matthew 15, calls the religious leaders hypocrites because their hearts were far from him and they were elevating and teaching man-made traditions as if they were God's word. They were elevating and teaching man-made traditions as if they were the word of God. And Paul's warning to the Colossians seems to be this. You have something that is straight from God. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have been made eternally secure by grace alone, through faith alone, in, in Christ alone. Why would you trade something for God, from God for something from man? Why would you trade something from God for something from man? Watch out. Watch out. Because, because this, this is what we do. We exchange the creator for created things. We, we listen to created beings, even our own sinful wants and desires, rather than listening to the creator. We elevate our traditions and our way of life over the word of God, and it's dangerous. So Paul says, watch out for captors that, that are teaching these philosophies according to human traditions and according to the elemental spirits of this world. And if the first one was hard to figure out what he means, this one's even more difficult. Uh, you might have a footnote at the bottom of your page there 
that, that this could also be translated elementary principles of the world. If you look at the bottom of your Bible, there's a good chance you'll have that footnote. That it could be elementary principles of the world or elementary, elemental spirits of the world. Uh, and the reason why there's a difference there is because these are just difficult words in Greek to translate. And so Paul could be referencing false teaching that elevated the, the, the foundational components of this world think, uh, and this universe. Think air, wind, fire, you know, water. But, but most translations have opted for what we see here in the English Standard Version, uh, which is the elemental spirits, because they think it better fits with the context of Colossians, where Paul includes lots of references to spiritual forces and powers. Uh, uh, many believe the false teaching is, is merging elements of Judaism and, and mysticism. And some suggest a merging between these translations because a lot of pagan religions deified these foundational components of, of the world. They, they worship fire and they worship the sun and they worship all these elemental components of the world. And, and if you want to study it further, if this really is like, man, this sounds so interesting. Some of you are like, I hope this is done soon. But if you're like, no, I want more, I want more, you can try to find the connection between the false teaching here and the false teaching that Paul calls out in Galatians chapter 4 because those seem pretty similar when you look at how Paul addresses them. But here's what I want you to see. If I lost you there, come back right now. Here's what I want you to see. When you combine these two characteristics of deception that threaten the church— you see that some philosophies of the world are humanistic and other philosophies of this world are just demonic. They just come straight from the pit of hell and they capture the hearts and minds of people. And if you're rightfully asking yourself, oh, oh man, this stuff is out there, how do I know? Right? How, how, do I know? how can I tell if a teaching or philosophy falls into one of these two categories of humanism or demonic? How, how do I know? The last line of verse 8 is the key. Paul says, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Not Christ. And this is the key, and it really makes it quite simple, no matter what philosophy or false teaching comes next. If it is not found in Christ, and if it is not found in his word, it is dangerous and it is deceptive. And this will take you a long way in keeping yourself safe from false teaching. If it is not in Christ, if it is not in his word, it's deceptive. Because all the treasures of true wisdom and all the treasures of, two, of true knowledge only has one location. It is in Christ. And this is how I want the value of the good news of, the, of Jesus to be transformative to my thinking. I, imagine if we evaluated everything through the lens of this. If it is not of or from or found in Christ, then I don't need it and I don't want it. If it is not of or from or found in Christ, then I don't need it and I don't want it. It's that simple. A, a few years ago, we were doing respite care for a foster child. So that's a child that's in another foster home, uh, but the foster parents need another foster family to watch their kid for a week. Let's say they're going on vacation or something and can't take the child with them. So, so we, had a, we had this little boy, six or seven years old, that was at our house for about a week, but it just so happened to correspond with Mother's Day. 
So he was at our house on Mother's Day, and he had it in his head, his six-year-old head, that, that he wanted to get Becca red roses for Mother's Day. Super cute, right? So I take him after church, and we're driving to the store, and he's adamant about wanting red roses. And I know, okay, it's already Mother's Day afternoon. We might go to the store, and they might be out of those, right? And so I'm trying to adjust his expectations. And I said, buddy, you know, they, they might have other really nice kinds of flowers that would work too. And I'll never forget his adamant response. He said, I wouldn't touch him. I wouldn't touch him. I want red roses. So we went to multiple stores <laughs> until he could bring back a home red roses. Because if they weren't red roses, he didn't want them. And friends, here's my question. Have you come to value the treasure that is Christ so much that if it's not of or from or found in him, you wouldn't touch it. You wouldn't touch them. I think so often we are asking the wrong questions when we are evaluating our lives and our choices, right? Because often when we're thinking about what we should listen to or what we should do, we ask the question, is this sinful, right? What's wrong with it? And we come up with all sorts of justifications for why it's not sinful or why it's not wrong because we've already decided what we want to do. And maybe instead we should start asking, is this of Christ? Is this found in Christ? Is this from Christ? Is there anything right with it? Does it root me further in him or build me further into him? Is it based on his wisdom and his knowledge? If it doesn't move me further into him, I don't want it. I don't want it. And the reason that we reject anything that isn't according to Christ is given in verses 9 and 10. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. This is saying that Jesus is the substance. All of these world philo worldly philosophies that promise something better and promise more satisfaction are empty. They are hollow because they can't solve the eternal nature of our soul's eternal problem. And here's the danger. There are all sorts of counterfeit gods around us. Man has been assigning deity to created things pretty much ever since things were created. And, and so maybe you don't worship the sun, and maybe you, don't, maybe you don't pray to a carved image in your home, but we are all prone to value other things more than we value Jesus. And that's the definition of idolatry. An idol is anything I love more than God. We value family or money or success or food or sex or power. You name it, our hearts can find a way to elevate it into a position that it was not intended to be. We make an idol out of it. And the reason it is so foolish to assign deity to other things is because all the fullness of deity only has one location. And it is in Jesus. All true wisdom and true knowledge only has one location. And it is in Christ. Everything else is empty because it's all in him. And when you place your faith in Jesus, you are filled with the one who is full. 
When you place your faith in Jesus, you are filled with the one who is full. He has no rivals, and he has no equals. He is supreme over all other rulers and authorities. He is Lord over all. This is the gospel, by the way, that on our own, we are empty. Man, and we know it. And we try to fill ourselves with all sorts of things. But the problem is, the things we try to fill ourselves with are empty too. Right? And, and so people consume so much and they wonder why they are still starving. And maybe that's you today. You, you're trying to get it from all sorts of different places and you're like, why am I still so hungry? Why won't this satisfy me? What's wrong? It's because the things you're trying to fill your life with are empty themselves. They can never work. They can never satisfy you. And, and, and no matter, and, and here's, here's the good news of the gospel that Jesus is the eternal substance who can satisfy the eternal longings of your starving soul. And so no matter what you've done, you can have access because the fullness of God, Jesus, entered the world that was starving, and he said, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. I am living water. I am the bread of life. You will never be thirsty again. You will never hunger again because I'm the substance. And even though he was rejected as God and instead crucified on the cross, dying the death that we deserve to die, taking the punishment of our sins on himself, he rose from the dead. He conquered sin and the grave. He showed he was victorious and had authority over it all. So if you humble yourself, and bring your nothing and your hunger to the foot of the cross, placing your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. All your sins are forgiven. The righteousness of Jesus is credited to your guilty account. You become part of the eternal family of God, and you will no longer be empty because you will be filled with him. Oh, isn't that good news, church? Your life now and forever will never be the same. See, see here's the flow of thought from chapter 2 so far, these first 10 verses. Paul doesn't want followers of Jesus to be lacking. He doesn't want them to feel empty or discontent because he knows how dangerous that is. So he's pointing us to Jesus because Jesus is the treasure who contains all the treasure, verse 3. And if you have received him, stay right there. Don't move. Stay right there. There, walk in him, set your roots down deep in him and build into him. And don't be taken captive and robbed by human or demonic deception. I know it can look enticing, but it is so empty. It's just hollow. Jesus, however, is not empty because all the fullness of God dwells in him bodily. All the things the world offers are just a mirage. Jesus is the substance. Your life will be so much more stable and so much more satisfying when you believe that we will never be lacking when we are filled with Christ. So much of what, determine, of what determines how you live today is based on whether you believe this truth, that you will never be lacking if you are filled with Christ. I desperately want for your life to be characterized by walking in Christ the trajectory of everything you do, whether it's setting your roots down or building something higher, it's towards Christ. Why? Because he's so much better. 
He is stability and security and satisfaction because he is the substance that everyone is longing for. Are you filled with him? Are you filled with him? Are you relying on him? Are you in Christ this morning? We are going to learn even more about what it means to be in Christ next week, but for now, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have not left us on our own to try to find something substantive. But the substance of everything that we need came to us in the person of Jesus. And we need to trust that you are better. We see that our hearts are so prone to value other things and to elevate other things that don't satisfy. And all it does is make us insecure and unstable. And life circumstances come at us and, we, and knock us over and we wonder why. And Jesus, I pray that you, we would believe every day that you are what we need. That you are where we, we get our nutrients. That you are where we get our strength. That you are what sustains. That you are what satisfies. I pray that the trajectory of our lives would be further into you. No matter which way we're going. I pray that we would believe that if it's not you, we don't want it. We wouldn't touch it. Because that's how much we value who you are. So thank you for what you've done to give us access, to unify us with you, and to fill us with you. And I pray that we'd rely more on you than ever before. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.